and welcome back to Unconditional and Uncensored. I'm Lauren. And I'm Renata. And my weeks have just been flowing into one. I feel like I'm just getting lost in time. Yep, I hear you. Uh, I feel like time is going far faster than it should be. Mm -hmm. And it's becoming a little bit alarming how much time or how little time is left in the year and just how much has to be done before the end of the year. I know. And we've got like five months left of the year. Shit balls. (laughs) I don't know. I, I can't even tell you what has happened these last few weeks. Like people ask me what day it is and I don't know. I woke up on Saturday thinking it was Thursday. Well, that's nice that it's the other way around. That when you realize, oh, it's Saturday, you can actually relax. Not, 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 not waking up thinking that um, it's Saturday and you're, it's actually like a, a Wednesday morning and you're already an hour late. Yes. <laughs> Have you been? Um, at the moment, I'm feeling a little tender. I must admit, I seem to have given myself food poisoning because I was the one yeah. who did the cooking. <laughs> so, um, everybody else who ate part of the, or was there for the meal they didn't get sick it was just me um so maybe I was just really fucking unlucky and got that one piece of chicken that maybe wasn't 100% cooked so needless to say I spent last night on first name basis with my toilet oh happy days um, yeah so not feeling so so you know bright-eyed and bushy-tailed at the moment but yes. But you're better now? Yeah, yeah. They're just tired. Okay. But uh, yeah. But speaking about having tummy issues and being on the toilet. Today we have a good friend of mine joining us for today's episode to chat about Crohn's disease. Montana has spent years struggling with her health and not getting answers to what was going on. This has not only impacted her physically, but her mental health took a knock and her career was buckling under the challenges that she was facing too. Montana is a speech pathologist who was forced to open her own practice off the back of her diagnosis and is excelling at it. And uh, it seems to have been the best decision for her. Montana, welcome to Unconditional and Uncensored. Thank you. And thank you for having me. Mon, so Crohn's disease is something that is often brushed off or categorized into the IBS uh, uh, stigma or umbrella term, but there's so much more to it. Um, We'd love to hear from you, Mm -hmm. someone who lives with this and suffers with it on a day-to-day basis. What is Crohn's disease? Yeah, so I guess how I understand Crohn's disease is that it's an autoimmune inflammatory bowel disease. So it's something that I guess something triggers the immune system and and the disease flares up and and it shows up um, in the form of inflammation. And I know that Crohn's disease can exist anywhere, basically in the digestive tract, so Mm. mouth to anus. And I'm just going to preempt this whole podcast with I'm probably going to say things about the human body (laughs) and (laughs) talk about things that usually are like a taboo thing or uncomfortable for people to talk about, but... Um, yeah, I think it's, it's a part of everyone's everyday life. So it's worth, worth chatting about. Mm. Yeah. So, and I guess, yeah, Crohn's disease does sort of fall under or can be misinterpreted for a condition like IBS. I know for people that 
have IBS, I sort of understand it more as like a food trigger sort of thing where it's like someone has an intolerance to say usually like dairy or lactose or something like that that can cause um, diarrhea or bloating, things like that. But I guess the body itself isn't like disease ridden or there's not, you know, like things that are sort of happening mm. within the bowels or, or the digestive tract. So that's how I understand the difference. Um, and I guess IBS not being like an autoimmune disease as well so it's not like an autoimmune condition yeah that's my interpretation of it so uh, then to just perhaps I think because we are all healthcare professionals so IBS is a second nature term to us but in case in case there's anyone who listens and does not know what IBS is it's irritable bowel syndrome but that also I wanted to ask you too because I actually thought that Crohn's disease was one and the same as ulcerative colitis is that true yeah so something different well yeah and yeah like I guess the way I understand it is ulcerative colitis usually will exist in the small intestine whereas or the smaller bowel that sort of thing and then Crohn's disease usually will be in the large um it seems that like it's quite common among like females ulcerative colitis like I sort of know a lot of females it seems to be be diagnosed with it okay um I have this like weird mix of the conditions where I've got Crohn's colitis so I've somehow got this like nice little blend of (laughs) both both colitis as well yeah and Crohn's (laughs) in the same thing um which at the start um I wasn't originally diagnosed with that but once they sort of did a rescope um last year when I was unwell they yeah have sort of defined it I guess as Crohn's colitis so right right I guess for for anyone listening uh, Crohn's is generally uh, it's inflammation that leads to reduced absorption of food nutrients and uh, ulcerative colitis is um, where it affects the water absorption Mm. um, which causes diarrhea yeah yeah okay interesting so when did you first start noticing symptoms or when when did you first start noticing that there was something wrong? So I reckon when I was like 14 or 15 or so, um, probably when right. my anxiety sort of started to spike at school as well um, or general anxiety just around everything, um, I feel like I started to notice like a lot of issues with my gut. So I'd have like really bad constipation and then I'd have diarrhea or I'd have like really uncomfortable constipation where it was like my tummy would stay like bloated like I was pregnant for like four days or so and like I was having to like really really push on the toilet and it was like really uncomfortable really painful and like it causes nice little small tears where the poo exits and everything Mm -hmm. like that so um like there was sort of like traces of blood but not like in my poo it was like when I was wiping there was blood things like that um so that sort of started to happen and I just sort of noticed that like I would have say certain foods like say it was a bowl of pasta one time it would trigger me and I'd feel like bloated or I'd feel like really sort of like grumbling in the tummy and then other times like nothing would happen and I think the thing with Crohn's and I guess like what a lot of people who have Crohn's will always talk about is that it's so unpredictable and you can be like so clean with your Mm. eating you can cut out every single thing that you think you're meant to you can 
identify food as a trigger and completely write it off and then something else will just be like oh no it's my turn and that thing becomes the new trigger and it Mm. sets it off again so I think that's where it sort of become really frustrating for me because I was like obviously going through school hormonal stuff I was trying to like you know just navigate being a teenager becoming a young adult going to uni and then yeah just started to have like all these issues um I went to the doctor's multiple times and the very sort of classic stigma of being dismissed and oh it's just IBS or oh just cut out gluten like you're just having a few like gut issues like it's not an issue or like here's some anxiety medication because like you're just anxious or something like that then I went to a doctor who It was actually for a random visit. I was actually grabbing a script for the pill and I just said to her, I was like, look, I'm still having these issues. Like no one's listening. Is there any chance like I can have someone have a proper look? Because I was like, I know something's happening, but no one will give me the chance to like even just try and have a look and and sort of diagnose anything or, you know, see if anything's going on. Mm. And she had like the worst bedside manner. Honestly, it was like, didn't like her at all, but she was the only person and the first doctor to actually say, yeah, no, it sounds like you've got more going on given that your symptoms have been happening for a while. Yeah, and like even my blood tests were showing um, I have the genes for celiac um, disease and, yeah, so she sent me for a gastroscopy and colonoscopy, so camera down the throat, camera up the bum. <laughs> double whammy <laughs> um, hopefully and, not at the same time no and I was hoping the mouth one went first <laughs> <laughs> and did it yeah they do it separate it's a different thing um oh. but it was good though because they did it when I was asleep once like I didn't want to <laughs> have to go back because the preparation that's like a whole other thing the preparation is so gnarly mm. um yeah it's terrible so well I guess for those who don't know so like with a gastroscopy I'm pretty sure because I did both at the same time it's hard to sort of just like sort of decipher between both but the gastroscopy gastroscopy you do just fasting with food whereas like obviously colonoscopy it's like you do a proper clean out and you have a prep kit and you fast and drink these disgusting, nauseous, creating, vomit-inducing drinks that just make you Yuck. empty. It empties you out completely <laughs> and it's gross. And I think it's for something like four days, isn't it? Yeah, well, and like they, they do suggest that you sort of start eating like more bland foods a couple days before your prep and then, yeah, it sort of feels like you're doing prep for nearly like 48 hours, especially if your colonoscopy is in the afternoon Mm. so yeah you sort of fast all day you have like two sachets of these drinks and um they've changed the flavor since my first one because I got to experience the old yuck flavor and the new semi-ish better flavor um (laughs) but they're still gross it's not nice it's a feral experience but yeah part of the process I've had, uh, I've got some, I've got some tummy issues as well. And I've had gastroscopies, but I am terrified of ever having to have a colonoscopy. So yeah. you have my full sympathy. Yeah. I, I think that's so much worse. Yeah, they're not, they're not nice. Do they do that when you're awake? 
No, no, you're asleep. You're asleep. You get fully like it's general, so you, you're completely asleep. Um, everyone yeah. always talks about like some like we're sort of I'm on Facebook groups for like Crohn's and um, ulcerative colitis um, sufferers, but like everyone talks about like just the feeling of like you put your body through all this like emptying and like it's out, and then you get this like beautiful like you go to sleep and you wake up and you feel like you know, my gut's like reset and everything's, you know, I'm clean. Um, then you get given your sandwich and it's like the best sandwich mm. you've ever had because like you haven't eaten for nearly two days. And um, yeah, so there's like, I guess, to have a bit of a positive spin, there is there is sort of that part of it where I think even in my, my colonoscopy just gone a few months ago, I actually think the clean out sort of actually gave me a bit of like a reboot because since then I've had a lot less symptoms. Um yeah. Apparently, my my specialist has said like less than one percent of people can flare um, after a colonoscopy because of just like it's all happening and the body's got to do so much to empty out. But um, yeah, it seemed to actually sort of I don't know something about it. I guess it just felt like a like almost like a bit of a reset. Um, but yeah, so then I was diagnosed. The dates forever ingrained in my brain but 27th of September in 2021 um I woke up and I remember the specialist he's like oh he goes I'm 99% sure we'll wait for the biopsies to be confirmed but I think you've got Crohn's disease and I was like oh cool because for me at the time I was like thank fuck I finally have an answer as to what been going on I had no idea what Crohn's disease was I hadn't even ever heard the word before that moment I did not know what it was going to entail up ahead of me the things that I've been through since but I was just like I'm so glad that I actually have an answer and someone who's been Mm. able to find something that's given all of this stuff a reason for why it's happened Mm. yeah um so Montana you were talking about how you know, the food sensitivities and how your body changed, you know, when you, before you got your diagnosis and how, at, you know, certain points it would be that your body's not tolerating this and then it's not tolerating that and that kind of thing. And I can imagine that that also makes social activities super difficult because you just, you don't know what your body's going to be able to handle, what it's not, how you're going to react. Mm. Um, so did you find that in light of the symptoms and the, what you were experiencing that you tended to isolate yourself from, um, maybe or, or avoid going to social situations or social events? I think pre-diagnosis, not so much, I think, because, like, I didn't have, like, a, oh, this is what it is. It's just my body's just not liking me or – and because it was unpredictable, um, I think, yeah, pre-diagnosis, I didn't really sort of probably care as much. Yeah, and I was, like, probably trashing my body – with foods that I shouldn't be having like I especially throughout my uni mm. years like I was drinking a lot of caffeine I was having coke I was like buying a muffin every day and it was like oh just for today or just for today and it was like an everyday occurrence that I was doing these things and um looking back now I was like god I really wasn't treating my body with the respect that it deserved and everything like that but since the diagnosis absolutely I have isolated socially um Mm. it's so much harder to go out and feel confident eating there's a certain level when you sort of have this like such a I guess like significant reaction to certain food there's like so much trust that you have to put into chefs when they're like oh yeah no there's no onion in it 
Oh, no, no. Like we won't cross-contaminate with gluten. Like we don't cook with gluten in this part of the kitchen or we don't put it in anything with gluten in that fryer, things like that. There's like so much so much trust that you have to give to to the people and everything that sort of are working at restaurants, which is really, really tricky. Um, and, yeah, it absolutely has made it harder to catch up with friends. I'm more inclined to have friends over here because I'm like well I can cook or I could order the takeaway in case I'm sick I'll have a toilet and a lot of the things that I do now it's like oh what if I need a toilet what if I'm going to be sick and what if what if what if um then I've worked really hard with my own psychologist to try and work through those feelings of anxiety because it's everywhere I go everything I do these things pop up um and and the anxiety of like what if there's not a toilet there mm. um or on the way it's like even you know like going between Geelong and Melbourne and sitting on the highway it's like at night time it's really funny though I don't care like I'm at the stage where I'm like if I need to pull over the car and shit on the side of the road that's what I'm <laughs> gonna do <laughs> like I'm literally at that point and I was part of the um acceptance and commitment therapy treatment program that was for Deakin um through Deakin and they did this as part of like Mm. an IBD thing and working through that and part of working through that is actually like being okay with and accepting these kinds of things and accepting that firstly I have the disease accepting that it's lifelong accepting that I have some level of control over it some I don't um also accepting things like sometimes like I might want to wear an adult nappy to go out because I've got incontinence issues or um, accepting that like I'm going to have urgencies and that it's going to be harder to socialise and and there's anxiety around socialising as well. Um, And then things like going to shit on the side of the road if I had to. Um, So it's really funny because I'm happy to travel at night time because I'm like, well, no one can see if I pull (laughs) over. But during the day, anxiety levels are like, high high um so it's it's yeah it's hard because the social thing changes and it changes depending on I think who is going like who supports you in in this and who doesn't who's willing to understand who doesn't who wants to have an opinion about everything or tell you that oh everything's fine Mm. so I guess in that and in all that sort of socialization like all the isolation that I've experience has also come a lot with teaching me a lot of lessons about friendship and who's going to be understanding about it and who's not worth having around anymore. (laughs) Have you found that um, you've had to kind of like cut some people out of your life or that a lot of people around you try and give you opinions or like tell you how you should be doing things or how you should be handled it or say to you like it's not that bad um, you know or yeah I think at the very start, um, because like I was so in the unknown and everyone was, and you know, and like I know that everyone who has tried to have an opinion has come from the right place, like family or friends or people from work. And it's like, I understand that everyone absolutely has their best intentions at heart. But I think, you know, things like, oh, you should eat this or you shouldn't eat that or try this or try that. And it's like, in that, in those moments, especially in the initial stages, I was literally dealing with like the grief of losing myself 
as a person and the grief of missing the person before I was, especially when I was really, really sick, um, that I was like, this isn't really helpful. Like all I needed at that time was for someone just to be like, yeah, this is crap. Like I'm just going to sit with you mm-hmm. and I'm just going to like be here and in this with you mm. because like that's what I needed. And one of my closest friends, like she's like that, she's amazing in that sense. Like she never, she like would ask me how I was, but she would never be like, do you want that? Should you have that? Oh, whatever. Like it was always just like what, and the best thing that I, I loved about her in those moments was she would always be like, what do you need from me right now? Mm. And it was just like the best the best thing to like give to someone and the best thing and the best way to mm-hmm. support someone who is going through a really shitty time, I think is just asking them what they need from you. Yeah. I think that's such a good reflection for, you know, from a friendship perspective, you don't always have to have the solution. You can just let them know that you yeah. are there for that person. Yeah. I guess also coming back to where you said, you know, you weren't really giving your body the food that it needs and, um, you know, when, when you were younger, that you weren't really taking care of your body, that makes a lot of sense. Because at that stage, I mean, you know, you're a fresh uni student, and you don't have that knowledge. And you've been brushed off so regularly or so Mm. much by the healthcare professionals that you were reliant on to, you know, to be be taking Mm -hmm. care of you. And they just kept saying to, you know, it's, um, you've just got IBS, or it's in your head. And, um, you know, so it's really sad, but it makes a lot of sense that, that, you wouldn't have been taking care of your body at that stage because you didn't have that knowledge. You didn't have that background to say, you know, this is a serious thing. Um, so I need to be doing something different. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, like I was saying, like one thing would affect me one day, like I'd have, I always used to get, I think it was like a, probably a chalk chip muffin or something like that from uni. And like one, like there'd be days where it's like, I've got like so much cramping. I'm like, I shouldn't have done it. I shouldn't have had it, whatever. And then there's other days, the next it could even just be the next day I'd have it and I was fine I was like great (laughs) like this isn't helpful at all um yeah and yeah you're right I think when you're sort of brushed off like it's almost like you're made to feel like you're an idiot or like you're crazy for for thinking things and because I knew I had anxiety it was like well that's probably a valid reason because like anxiety can bring on symptoms and I'm becoming a lot better at knowing like what is this Crohn's, like is this Crohn's or Mm. is this anxiety today? And I'm being able to differentiate now that I'm sort of more insightful with it. But back then it was absolutely just like, well, maybe I am just fucking anxious all the time. Mm, Like, and this is it. Yeah, it's just in my head. Like I'm just making this shit up and nothing's wrong. And like I'm complaining about nothing. So, Mm. Yeah. Um, so uh, you talked us a little bit through the diagnostic procedure, but, um, so, so, and this obviously affects everyone differently, so it'll be very different for everyone else, but what sort of, what does the treatment for it look like? What, what does that entail? Um, I think the, well, I remember the very first thing I did was Dr. Google. I went absolutely wild on like, what is Crohn's? What does this mean for me? What is treatment? Mm -hmm. Um, in the very initial stage after my diagnosis, I was, um, instantly put on prednisolone, which is a really shitty steroid with a shit ton of side Mm. effects and makes you feel like crap, but it does work wonders on, in that sort of same respect as well. So 
um, yeah, I was put on prednisolone straight away to try and lower inflammation. And then, which is the whole insert sarcasm, fun part of the whole disease is trying to find the right medication that keeps you at bay and keeps you from being in a flare. Um, mm. So it was like July last year, so July 2022, when it was actually after I had COVID and sort of like speaking to my specialists and things, I guess it's suspected that the like obviously COVID being something that would like flick the immune system into absolute hysterics and drive it wild that potentially set off the disease um, because before that, like it was steady. It wasn't great, but it was steady. And then, yeah, come July, had COVID about four or five weeks later and then bang, it was like hospital. I was sick. I couldn't work, pretty much couldn't do a lot, like even just around the house, like things were really hard. And then came like the TMI, but like watering, like watery poo, blood, mucus, incontinence like pain vomiting like all the all the symptoms and it was just like okay like this is a flare I'm having a flare like I hadn't really had one prior but I was yeah having one and it lasted a few months just shows you how COVID literally fucks up everything (laughs) (laughs) Mm -hmm. well and like you know and people are having like long COVID symptoms and it's like you think of the effects it's having on healthy people, let alone other people who are already living with autoimmune diseases that are, yeah. So, yeah, then the hospital sort of stints. I had two main hospital stints last year. The first one was like lots of emotions around the first one. I was scared shitless. I had no idea what was going on. I was like, why does my body hate me? My body's rejecting me. Like what? I was just like, you just can't even just like process like because you just don't know. It's not like, oh, I've got an infection. They're going to put me on some really strong antibiotics. I'll be fine eventually. It was like, we don't even know what's going to happen. So I'd been in hospital for I think, first one I think was seven days. Came home. I was on steroids again. Oh, that's right. So sorry, they put, they were treating me every six hours with um, intravenous steroids. Wow, you must have been exhausted. My body was like spent. I had nothing in the tank. I, because I was more sedentary in the hospital too, like I started to like struggle to walk and the fluid in my legs from the retention from the steroids, like it was, I was holding onto the rail, like walking around the hospital trying to move. Even going down to the cafe one day when a friend visited, like she, we were in a wheelchair because it was just like, and like I could have walked, but I was just like, I was dizzy and I was like really lightheaded. Yeah, like the fluid retention in my legs was so bad that like moving was a struggle. I had to have the nurses like help me in the shower. And like as a 25-year-old, like it just feels like so almost like condescend. It's such an uncomfortable experience to be like, I need help. I'm young mm. and my body is probably capable, but I need help. Had to sit down in the shower, like stuff like that's just it's like a whole another just like impact on your mental health and during the time too there was mm. visit um visitation limits too so that was really hard because it was like I could only have a certain amount of visitors certain amount of hours mm-hmm. so it was like mum or dad would tag team James would tag team 
yeah, and it was like all, um, you know, I'd try and like sneak another visitor in, be like, oh, no, like it's gone and try and not make any like scene with the nurses just because I was like I really want the company. I was so bored and mm. isolated and everything in those moments too. Yeah, and then so I sort of kind of settled. I went back to work. At that stage, I'd started working via telehealth because I had to work at home. Like I just couldn't, sometimes couldn't even get long enough to not go to the bathroom to actually get to the office. Like it was like I can't even make it the whole car trip. Um, And there was days where I was going to the toilet like up to 30 times a day. So I had lost like 12 kilos really rapidly. Like I had like really dark circles under my eyes. Obviously, my body just wasn't absorbing anything. I was really, really dehydrated. Yeah, and then I guess the next part of the whole thing was I went back into hospital again. So the first one was the start of August and the second stint was like near October, I think, the second week of October, so it wasn't far in between. Um, But I had had an accident at work. So I did go to work this one time, had an accident at work um, and soiled myself. And again, as a young 25 year old having that happen I had no spare clothes with me so I literally like text one of the girls upstairs and I was like can you just bring like any cleaning products you can Um, and I think I luckily because I always carry one had a towel in the back of my car and just like the most degrading sort of like almost like this walk of shame like I had put my undies and like leggings in a bag and drove home with a towel around me nothing underneath and Mm. I was like wow this is this is it like this is is what life looks like what this life is going to look like um so it was a really really shitty experience like apart from the fact that it was shit everywhere (laughs) it was a really shitty experience (laughs) (laughs) I have to say it every time I talk about it because, <laughs> like, yeah, you know, I've got to put those puns in. You have to use humour, otherwise it'll just drive you nuts. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> and so, yeah, then I ended up back in hospital, had another stint there, and my specialist basically in that second stint, she was like, if you don't turn a corner and if we don't get you better this time, like, your whole bowel's going to come out. Wow. And that was it. And so, like, in that moment, I was just like, what the fuck? Like, what the actual fuck is going on? Like, I was like two years ago, I was like, oh, it's just IBS. You've got anxiety. Fast fast track, like, 18 months. And I've been told that, like, my entire fucking intestine was going to be removed. And I was like, what is going on? Like, I'm not this, surely I'm not this unhealthy for this to happen. Um, luckily I did turn a corner. I basically, and I refused and I was like, I don't care what drugs you have to use. I don't care how long I'm in hospital. I was like, I'm not having anything taken out. Mm. I was like, I'm not leaving the hospital without a part of my body. Like it's not happening. So yeah. And was there something that you could do like from your side? Was there something that you could do or change um, to to prevent that or to turn that corner? Or was it all primarily like drugs with the help of drugs and medicine? Um, So at the time, there was a lot of focus 
on medication because mm, it was like okay. if I was going to achieve getting somewhat better, that was how it was going to happen. Okay. Yeah. Um, but I also then started seeing a nutritionist who, like, bless her soul, I think has honestly saved me from a lot of strife. I think what she's helped me with in terms of improving my gut health, like I've personally, I've cut out gluten, I limit dairy, I avoid a lot of like processed meats and oily, like shitty, like high fats, like, um, like deep fried stuff, things like that. And, and like a lot of supplements. So like a lot of anti-inflammatory supplements, like turmeric Mm, um, and things like that to sort of help Um, but I think without her support just on the medication I just don't think Mm. like this would have turned out how it has like how good it has and don't get me wrong there are still days where I just have really really bad days when stress is higher um, at work things like that that trigger it um or, you know, going to a restaurant and someone accidentally either cross-contaminates or there is a bit of onion oil or garlic or whatever it is, like that makes me unwell. Um, but I've become a lot better at knowing sort of even how to manage those very like early on initial stages of like, oh, a flare could be coming. Mm-hmm. And then obviously with the help of medicate, like massive help with the medication, I've been on something called... I think it's called Remicade. It's called infliximab. Mm. There's like two words for it, um, which basically I think it just works on the immune system in the entire body to sort of try and help. I think it's the white cells or something like that. Um, and I've been on that. I did like a, a lot of sort of like an intense amount of doses right at the start when I was first on it. And now I'm on these um, once a month as well as like my daily supplements and medications and mm food and all that sort of stuff so yeah yeah okay and um so you you're on medication like long term for this is your medication able to sort of you know keep it at bay and kind of you know keep it sort of under wraps and under control or this is the hard one because everyone is so diverse when it comes to treatment like there's people that will be on prednisolone for years and years and years because that's the only thing that helps um and there's different types i don't even know the different types but i know that there's different like classes and types of medication depending on how they actually interact with the body um so part of like my personal sort of daily medication thing is that um i'm on like a slow release um tablet that sort of slowly releases once it hits the bowel and it tries to like control some of the inflammation in the bowel um, it's mainly used for ulcerative colitis, but I've some like I've kind of responded well to it, and I've got a hint of colitis in there anyway. So um, <laughs> just that little sprinkle, anyway. So hopefully that helps. Um, and then yeah, obviously infusions. But yeah, like everyone's different. Some people have like um, they do like their inject like self injections. Um, yeah, it's like there's such a diverse right. Like I know so much about or have like been exposed to so many like avenues of just like medication and and understanding like that there's so many different options to treat conditions, which is great because I guess finding a cure is always the thing with, with a lot of diseases that exist. Mm -hmm. Um, And yeah, 
there's lots of different ways to try and help it, but it's not successful for everyone, unfortunately. So, yeah. Just uh, if I can ask a, a question, just a quick circle back to sort of not really social situations, but situations in which you're with other people. Lauren said right at the beginning that you've got your own practice now, right? Mm. Mm. Is that, was that partially motivated because you've got a little bit more control over where you are and your schedule and you've just got generally a little bit more control over the circumstances or was it because you didn't get support in your workplace or was it just a mix of or a completely different reason or yeah so I guess like working for myself is something that I've always wanted to do so like when I started uni it was like one day this is going to happen did I plan for it to be this soon absolutely not um I think workplaces like I've definitely been a part of workplaces where things have become just too hard and a lot of lines have sort of been crossed with me not feeling understood and probably not being able to live up to the expectation that the workplace needs from me um, because of my health Um, has that made me feel like I'm sort of judged on my ability to work because of my health absolutely Um, Mm. has it affected my outlook and my opinions on workplaces absolutely so yeah and I think like in and in the moments when when workplaces haven't worked out I've been like so angry and so frustrated like I'm being discriminated against like it's because of my Crohn's and all that. But I like when I sort of step back and I really take time to reflect on it in a more probably mature way, I'm like, I just couldn't be the right fit for that place because they probably couldn't understand what I needed as part of like my ability to work. So for example, everyone's sort of, which has been like a consistent sort of theme. Oh, why don't you like work one or two less days a week? Um, so then you can have other days to rest. And the problem with that is number one, you can never pick the day that the Crohn's is going to flare up. It's going to, if it's going to happen, like it could happen right now and just be like, you're in the middle of a podcast. It's time. It's, it's not going to pick. Like it's, you can't just be like, oh yeah, cool. I've got my rest day Thursday. If Mm. I'm going to be sick on a Tuesday, I'm going to be sick on a Tuesday. Like that's just it. Um, the other part with that is that I'm paying for medications. I'm paying and and taking pay cuts and sort of yeah like working less being paid less doesn't help because it's like I've I'm under financial stress in the sense that I've got extra things I have to pay for like by the time I pay for my appointments my supplements and the medications and then like I catch up with my specialist and and all those things like they all add up and and working less was never going to be the right solution to sort of being able to support that either yeah I guess like some places of you know you've taken too many sick days and I just think whether it's sort of like and you know everyone has to focus on their own business because like that's how I'm I'm totally understanding of it so like I hold no grudges against I guess what has happened with previous workplaces I think it's just all been learning curves Mm. because it's taught me what I need from my work which is that flexibility and I think working for myself it's like well if I call in sick obviously clients are being let down because I can't see them but I'm only letting myself down 
and I don't have to explain my situation over and over and over again to someone to be like, well, I'm happy to have a sick day because of X, Y, Z. It's just that I wake up and if I'm like, you know what, today's just not the day or it's something's going wrong, I'm not feeling well, then I just make that executive decision on my own Mm -hmm. and I don't need to impact anyone else or feel guilty or have messages coming through about what could we do with this client? Where do we reschedule that client? And like that just adds to the already um, like stressful situation of, of mm. being sick on that day. And what, what sort of level of openness do you, if, if any, have you had to have a sort of a, a level of openness with your clients or have you just kind of kept that under wraps and kept it to yourself? So in my welcome document that I send out to clients, it has, um, I live with a chronic illness. This is Crohn's disease. This means that I can ex- unexpectedly become unwell and this can last a day. It could last weeks. It could last even longer. Um, if you wish to see a therapist who um, can provide more continuity of therapy for you, then that's okay. And I understand that I'm not the best fit. For some people, it hasn't worked out. And, and for some people as well, like telehealth doesn't work. So like there's sort of two parts to it that, for some reason that I won't see people um but for most people I've had no issues like I've had people who followed me before from almost before I was sick or as I was just diagnosed who stuck with me and waited for me while I was in hospital and and have followed me since and now I still work with them now and I'm like so grateful and so appreciative and feel such like a strong connection with these people because it's like like they really have seen like the worst part of me and have even, you know, seen me on days where I'm like feeling really, really terrible but have stuck it out and, yeah, still wanted to see me. So The world needs yeah. more people like that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I'm very, very grateful to the parents and the and the kids that have been like and, and you know, like I'm working with children that, um, struggle to deal with change unexpectedly but how they've been able to hold um, themselves like when I've had to change on them last minute it's just amazing because they've been they've been yeah amazing and part of why I keep wanting to do what I do mm. um, and haven't sort of I guess thrown in the towel for my career and rather have thrown in the towel to think okay maybe I'm just not meant to work for someone and maybe I have to work for myself and that's part of dealing with it. Yeah. I um, I have another question. Sorry, I keep sort of circling back to something that we already mm-hmm. sort of spoke about, but something that triggered a, a question you mentioned about the financial stress of having to pay for your additional appointments and your medications and that kind of thing. And so my background is that I, I live in Switzerland, so we have a, a different kind of health insurance system here. Mm. Um, but I'm a little bit shocked does your health insurance or your, your, what is it called? Medicare? Does it not pay these kinds of things? I mean, it's a chronic illness, right? Yeah. Covers some. Um, so it, Medicare covers my infusions because it is for a chronic condition. Um, but that also means like I have to do a lot of regular testing, um, and also regular testing too, to keep up with making sure I'm on the right dose as well. So, um, and you only get a certain amount. So say for a calcoprectin test, which is a stool sample, which tests the amount of inflammation in your stool, um, you only get, mm, there's a few like per calendar year. So any extra that's mm. out of pocket. 
Um, so everything's been through Medicare. And then for my sort of tablets I take daily, I think they're about $46 a box um, and I take four a day. So I go through them Ooh. pretty quickly as well. Yeah. Um, but like, and obviously the PBS covers some of it, but it's not like it's one of those ones that's covered to be like $6.40, sort of like the whole covered um, Medicare PBS thing. So yeah, there's still those sorts of costs. Um, my my private health though does cover like me going into the hospital for infusions. It covered me being in hospital. I had to pay for a couple of tests out of pocket, like bloods and stuff like that. Um, but for the most part, private health was able to cover a lot of the, the hospital thing. That actually just makes me be very thankful for the health insurance that we have in Switzerland because it's a we don't have a state health insurance here or a state health system at mm-hmm. all. Everything is private. Um, but it's yeah. mandatory to have a basic health insurance. Like it's illegal to not be insured. Um, yeah, well, and yeah. everything is, there's a certain, like a 10% that you pay, but only until a certain point. And then after that, you don't really pay for anything anymore. It's fully mm-hmm. covered. So it's yeah. just, I just find it so surprising because I know even in South Africa, where we come from is okay. The state health system there is just, it's a, it's a joke, but um, if you've got private medical aid, private health insurance there, and you have one of these listed, um, what are they called, uh, PMB, or these chronic conditions that you get prescribed minimum benefits for, I mean, okay, maybe... There's a limit to that too. Oh, ah, okay. See, Lauren worked in the hospital systems in South Africa. She knows this more than I do. <laughs> but, uh, I mean, okay, maybe I should stop talking because maybe I don't have enough insight on that either. But um, well, but then then I've even like you know read comments from people in the Facebook groups who are in America, and I like feel so much for them because it's like going to the hospital costs like such an exorbitant amount of money, medications, and it's like yeah, and then I feel like I'm like grateful to be even paying to honestly to be paying forty six dollars a box because I'm like I could be in a much worse off situation paying mm-hmm. a lot more money. Um, or obviously then my private health covering me going to hospital the times that I have and staying in hospital for the 10 days or whatever it is at a time. So then I'm, yeah, grateful for that side of it too because without that, like obviously the public hospital's there, but without mm-hmm. that security, I guess, just like knowing that I can go to hospital and that not be a barrier to getting health care, I guess, yeah. It just seems so unfair and, you know, maybe the situation like you've described as well is not, obviously there's financial implications, but it's not as bad as it is in perhaps like America. But that just seems so unfair that you have a chronic health condition that actually makes your life, well, not your whole life, but really affects your quality of life at times. And then Mm -hmm. to get treatment for it is insanely expensive. Um, and if you just have the bad luck of being in a country or being in a place that either A, doesn't offer the right kind of treatments, if it's maybe more of a developing country or, you know, in a country that doesn't support you with a good finance or financially with a good insurance system. I mean, that just seems so unfair. Like, what are you supposed to do? You feel like shit. Yeah. And then you are then chronically stressed because you're having to fork out money. It, it's, it just yeah. seems so unfair. Yeah. And then, and then the other aspect too is like being worried um, about like traveling to certain places, like like you said, like developing countries, and not only the access to medication, but the knowledge 
on Crohn's disease. So it's like if I was to travel like around America or the UK, I'd actually feel pretty safe because I feel like the knowledge about Crohn's, it's Mm. where a lot of the research happens, a lot of the big hospitals are there, that sort of thing. Um, And I don't know much about sort of like other places, but like, yeah, I'd feel like I'd be sort of Mm. treated correctly should say something go wrong in those moments. Um, But it still makes me like not want to leave Australia because even if I was like in Queensland or Perth or something, being able to pick up the phone and call my specialist would be like the very, very first thing I would do before anyone could provide me treatment as soon as I step foot in a hospital somewhere else Mm. apart from here. Mm. Um, So that's been like probably another, it's it's another layer or another thing that sort of like you have to consider or people consider when you have diseases like this um, and firstly that I have to have my infusions every month so I can only travel for three weeks in between so I couldn't do like a six eight week Europe fancy thing because I can't mm-hmm. bring that medication or the, the infusion medication with me to have that treatment on the fourth week so that's another huge thing too that can sort of impact um, living <laughs> I guess you even have to think about if you are traveling, well, first of all, Australia's uh, very far from just about anywhere. Uh, after yeah. I visited Lauren <laughs> last year and it was like 24, 25 hours of travel. So not yeah. to mention that that's, I mean, if you're having difficulties with a certain length of car trip, then a flight must be something completely different to mm. navigate. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But then I guess you also have to consider, for example, if you were to visit Europe, that what about a language barrier if something happens and you're in France or you're in Switzerland where they speak very little English and you have to go mm. to hospital and try and make yourself understood and try and navigate all this like I need this I need that I need that and then they're trying to explain things to you I mean that's another level of um, consideration you have to yeah. put in there yeah absolutely and I think that's probably something that sort of like prevents me from being like yeah let's go to like Europe and do the whole the whole like summer in Europe, it's like there's no way that would be a stress-free situation for me to be going into and long-haul flights, access to bathrooms. Mm. That would just be, oh, just the thought of that just like gives me like the shivers because it's just like that would just be really, really, really hard to to try and deal with, especially when in a flare like or in sort of that uncertain sort of stage. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. How do you um like how do you how do you come to terms with something like that? I mean, um you know you you've had to come to terms with the fact that you can't travel and you can't do these things that you might otherwise have have done and that your life is going to look completely different to what you'd originally envisioned. Like how how do you yeah. come to terms with that? How does your how does that affect your mental health? Um, firstly, a shit ton of therapy. <laughs> So when I say things like the cost, um, yeah, I've seen my psych for a while now. Yeah, and that doesn't come cheap either. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, And I've had like some of the rebated like through mental health care plans, stuff like that. But therapy, um, it has – so it's sort of like it causes you to isolate, but then because you're isolated, you feel more isolated anxiety goes up leaving the house like I'll pack nappies I'll pack wipes I'll pack a plastic bag I'll pack extra pants extra undies 
um, sometimes extra socks because that's what happened the first time. It went through my socks. So there's like, you know, having to, like I'm packing a nappy bag as though like I'm carrying children around with me too. Um, <laughs> just the adult version. Um, so there's that. There's the anxiety. And I think like I was sort of saying right at the start, it's the grief of losing who you mm. were before you were unwell. And who you thought um, you were going to be. Yeah. Yeah. I like had to stop playing basketball, stop playing netball. I stopped going to the gym to do like my Zumba classes, which was like my favorite thing ever because I couldn't, my body couldn't do it. So it's like, it's, it's all those little things. And it's like, you don't really sometimes realize like how much you do socially and how many things you sort of like do to fill your bucket until like that bucket bucket just gets tipped over, thrown away. And like, you're not doing those things anymore. You have to find something else. So I think mental health and IBD is such a huge thing. And like Dee can do a lot of studies, which is one I was recently a part of. Um, um, so I always try to participate in those things because I love just learning new ways of dealing with the disease and sort of dealing with how it is a lifelong condition. I have days where even though I'm more at acceptance now, like I still have days where I'm just like, like I could actually be going in for these infusions every four weeks, like for the next 20, 30, 40 years. Like, like what the fuck am I going to do with all that time? So there's there's that reality of it that still I think has days where it hasn't completely sunk in. Um, it's the fear of some, you know, some females when they, they fall pregnant or if they fall pregnant, when they fall pregnant, Crohn's disease can do some fancy things as well during that time. Um, because of the stress on the body too and, and all the other things that can sort of happen throughout pregnancy. So it's like the fear of like, oh, I want to start a family, but can I, is something going to happen? So there's a lot of like anxiety around that. Um, and in all honesty, having moments of just like, not, I haven't had, I guess like suicidal ideation, but just the thoughts of like, it just would be easier if like I wasn't here. It would just be it would just be easier, unfortunately. And I hate it. And I hated all those thoughts. And a lot of them happened in hospital. Um, like there's amazing people out there to support. And the Crohn's Colitis Foundation do a really awesome job with providing like mental health resources. And we do, there's like a catch up every, every couple of Mondays. Um, you can get together and it's a bunch of young people too. So then it makes you feel less alone that you're not the only like 25 year old going through it. And there's like some kids that get diagnosed at seven years old and you just think hmm. like, Oh gosh, like I just hope that they have like a better, a better start, a better sort of way of treating the thing. Cause they're so young. Um, but yeah, the, the impact on mental health is huge. Like my anxiety has never been as bad as it's been. Um, like I've obviously had depression and, and I have sort of, those hints of I won't say PTSD but I will say like post-traumatic sort of stress around certain situations like if I feel like a niggle now in my stomach like I'm like my brain sends me straight back to hospital and like you're going to lose your bowels like this is it this is the moment it's coming and like the niggle could last for 10 seconds and it could just be like a fart that's just moving its way through but it's just like that that nervous resist that nervous system anxiety response to the sensations I experienced in my body like just sets off this whole thing for me um 
and I know that a lot of people that sort of talk about the disease sort of feel the same way and, and sort of ways to manage what's the sensation and is it like an anxiety thing is it Crohn's thing is it going to last is it just passing through like just all those like it's a lot to sort of mentally mentally deal with as well Mm, mm. and uh so obviously you've got people around you and you've got people that are close to you so um you and James live together right Mm. Mm um but like uh, how would he come to terms with it and you know from a from a relationship perspective and from someone that is there to support you and to take care of you um what would that kind of look like for them I mean they also have to come to terms with the fact that they life is not going to look like what they thought it was going to look like so from his perspective like wanting to support you and be the best that he can for you like how, how would that affect a relationship I think for anyone that probably maybe might go through this situation or end up with a chronic illness and they're in a relationship, I think it's a very big test or a like how much do you like really love that person? Like you love that person but like how much? Um, If I get emotional. Mm, You always hear about people saying, you know, I'll stick around no matter what. Oh, no matter what, no matter what. Yeah, like everyone says that, but it's like, but actually when it comes to it, what is like, what Mm. is no matter what, like to what extent? Um, And like I I feel saddened for people like in some of the Facebook groups who talk about their relationships coming to an end because their partners end up not being supportive or, um, yeah, sort of it's becoming too much um and I'm sure from from James's perspective there's probably days where he has felt like that too um me waking him up in the middle of the night because I'm on the toilet 10-15 times throughout the night or you know in and out of the bed so he's sort of you know trying to sleep and, and go to work and and then the times where he's had to financially support us because like I'm not working um all those sorts of things but and, you know, even just like doing things around the house and like when I was in hospital, sort of him doing everything on his own and working as well and coming to visit me and bringing me stuff because I wanted certain foods because the hospital didn't have it, like all that sort of stuff. Yeah, I think it's just, it's been like a true testament to probably how much we do care for each other, um, which is nice. But it's it's not easy on a relationship to to have someone who's who's chronically ill because you're sort of you're dealing with the everyday stuff and we can't go on a certain certain holidays because of me we can't go to restaurants because I can't eat um there's been times like we can't go out and and join our friends when they've invited us out because I'm not well times where like we've just had to stay home um because like I don't want to leave the house and he's sort of just gone along with that with me to, to show support, to show and, and be loving and whatnot. But um, I think deep down it would have an impact on him because I guess he sort of in, in some way loses that sense of freedom of just doing like whatever, whenever. But I don't know, it's, it's just shown me that he truly cares about me and, and I'm really grateful for that too because I've got someone who is really supportive and, you know, he'll stick up for me. Yeah, who understands? And like, you know, there's been times where, I won't sort of go too specific, but there's been times where he's had to have conversations with people who 
um, have been messaging me at the wrong times, like whether it's hospital or whatever, but he's like really been supportive in sticking up for me in certain situations that like I sort of reached the limit of being able to, to like stick up for myself. Um, and so he's sort of had to be my voice sometimes too. Um, I had like a really bad experience at one hospital and he was on the phone, like she wasn't treated properly and, and sort of like really like sort of, you know, advocating for me in those moments too. So I'm grateful from that perspective too, because it's like, well, I have someone who will advocate for the things that I need when I can't mm-hmm. do it myself either. And I guess there's that flip side to that as well. You know, you also have to come to terms with that because of me, because of me, we can't do these things because of me and having to live with that guilt and, um, you know, that, that sort of coming to, to terms and Mm -hmm. accepting that that is what life looks like for you and what life is going to look like for you guys going forward. So, yeah, I guess, um, it really makes a lot of sense that you really need to have someone that does care for you and, it speaks worlds to you know that you need that sort of support mm. so um if you could or how could you raise an awareness in the public eye or in the workplace um or if there's something that you would like to see being done differently or how you could make it different in the community um or in the public sort of what what would that look like i think first and foremost it's having the people around the person with Crohn's understand that like we don't always want opinions and we don't always want advice we just sometimes want a hug or shoulder to cry on someone just to be like yeah it's shit like I agree with you like this is fucked like I absolutely 110% agree that that would be a shitty situation to be in um so I think I think it's that it's not always you know trying to just like dish some opinions out it's just being there for the person um I think which I'll show you guys and I know people on the podcast listening won't be able to see but Crohn's colitis when you sign up as a member they give you a can't wait card um some people will recognize it and accept it other places don't and so like say where there's places where like it's maybe a boutique shop or something where there's no like toilet but they've got one for themselves at the back or whatever um like I know I've read stories about people being rejected to use the bathroom, um, which before my diagnosis, I would have been like, oh, just find another bathroom, <laughs> you know, like really naive because I didn't understand the impact that something that little would have. So I think something that could make the can't wait cards more recognizable I guess around Australia so more people sort of understand that it's not just like a little piece of cardboard that means like oh I've got a wee it's like I've got an actual problem I've got a disease I've got a well it's a disability I've got incontinence and like can I pretty please use your bathroom because I really have to go um so I think (laughs) yeah making these things more I guess like acceptable recognizable that sort of thing um And I think, like, just, like, talking about poo and the body and, like, just not, like, we all shit, we all fart. It's part of everyday life. We're all doing it. We all eat. It's all going to, like, go in one way, come out the other. It's how it goes. I think just being okay with, and, like, I'm obviously happy to have these, like, open conversations that that do feel taboo to a lot of people, but um, 
at the end of the day, it's like, you know, if something is off or if someone's like, you know, I am actually having weird bowel movements or something's going on with my stomach. It's like being okay with like actually talking about it and not brushing it off as, oh, you're just anxious or you've just had Mm. like, you know, you've got a bit of food poison, like just not brushing it off as things that might be less serious when it actually Mm. could be something that's going on with the person as well. Oh, mum, this has been really amazing. Um, thank you so much for coming on here and sharing your story and being vulnerable and, you know, just kind of helping us raise that awareness and break that stigma. I think it's very important to break that stigma and, um, you know, remove that, that umbrella term that, you know, people just kind of brush it off and it's not something that serious. So thank you so much for taking the time and for coming to chat with us today. It was really, really great to have you here. Yeah, it's been a super interesting chat. We really appreciate it. No, thank you guys for having me. Well, that's it from us today. If you enjoyed this episode and listening to Montana tell her story, please go and give us a rating on whichever platform it is that you listen to. Leave us a review. And if you don't follow us on social media um, yet, we are on Facebook, Instagram and TikTok. We will also link a couple of resources in our show notes on some more info about Crohn's disease, ulcerative colitis, and um, just in general how the digestive system works. Until next week. Bye.